At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. We're human beings! We're not symptoms of overpopulation for you to deal with! We're not cannon water for your wars! We will fight for our freedom because we know what freedom feels like. And this is not it! This is not it! People think they're free, but they're not. We've been given the illusion of freedom, the illusion of choice. That's that's the genius of these rulers, that they've, they've created a society that's conditioned to deny what's right in front of its eyes. Which is what? That we're slaves. Oh, what poppycock. That's not how it is. Everything is fine. The gods love us. Our parents didn't break our souls. The government wants what is best for us. The same goes for our churches, schools, and social circles. Everything is fine. The planet's ecosystem is as healthy as can be. 85% of the global human population living in poverty just means people gotta make better choices or earn their karma. Tough titty, but love and light. There is no conspiracy anywhere. And if we're not free, at least we're safe serfs who should be grateful the rulers of this age provide bread and circuses and hot-looking influencers on Instagram. Todo está bien. Denial is the most predictable of all human responses. Choice is an illusion created between those with power and those without. Or we'll just make the best of it. I mean, it was Groucho Marx who said, I'm not crazy about reality, but it's still the only place to get a decent meal. Applebee's is open, and that new restaurant down the street serves vegan vaginas and fake bat meat. Life is good. There is no conspiracy. Did you hear nothing I said? Buy another one, Morty. Consume, Morty. Nobody's out there shopping with this fucking virus. Where's your fucking wallet? Death and taxes being the only certainty in life doesn't mean the cosmic game is rigged. 
turn on the bachelorette, or swear at someone on Twitter if you feel like we're trapped in Rick and Morty's A Game of Roy episode. Feel as the poet Hausman said, I, a stranger and afraid, in a world I never made. The future is so bright, but I don't gotta wear John Carpenter's They Live Shades. They are dismantling the sleeping middle class. More and more people are becoming poor. We are their cattle. We are being bred for slavery. Screw that. Screw that and the centaur it rode in. We high priests and priestesses of Hermes, the god of thieves, and Sophia, the goddess of smugglers, don't accept the simulation. The B-movie narrative of the elite. The media killing us softly with its pharmaceutical song. We don't. We fucking don't. We know we have a higher purpose. That we are older than time and space itself. That infinity is found when we take that inner journey to find our authentic selves. You gotta get in to get out. Peter Gabriel sang in the carpet crawlers. We know we are higher than the gods, as the apocalypse of Adam states. We know we can make a difference, because, as the saying goes, an artist is not a special type of person, but every person is a special type of artist. By the power of truth, I, while living, have conquered the universe. We are unique. We are mad and drenched with the blood of Dionysus. And we now understand that all of reality is one big-ass conspiracy. With decent meals, of course. We're writing our own gospel and living our own myth. Rewriting the stars themselves and recoding the shitty software prison planet. As Gotthold Ephraim Lessing said, a heretic is a man who sees with his own eyes. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. You heretics, you of the broken places, come to Aeon Bite each week to see more with those They Live Shades. Embrace your awakening, which is a cosmic event. I'm so glad you're here with me, your host, Miguel Connor, your pompadus of Gnosis. The psychotic drowns where the mystic swims. An individual who has been handing out They Live Shades for decades, who has provided the arcane secrets to find higher realities instead of accepting this reality, is the brilliant Mark Stavish. I'm honored to host him at the Virtual Alexandria to discuss his latest book, The Path of Freemasonry. Don't expect some salacious yet ultimately tedious discussion on the Freemasons, the usual Havana Syndrome noise you hear on other podcasts. Mark provides the essence of Freemasonry as a tool for inner knowing and heroic actualization. With broad mystical insights, regardless of who you are or where you are in Yaldi Baldi's kingdom. 
an amazing interview. Oh, you shining crazy diamonds. But Miguel, Freemasonry can be bad. It's done bad things. What about that, dude? Shot and chaser, man. Who run everything in the world, including the newspapers, and meet tri-annually at a secret country mansion in Colorado known as the Meadows, the Queen, the Vatican, the Gettys, the Rothschilds, and Colonel Sanders before he went tetsa. Well, well, well. I've dealt with this before, but allow me to give you a story from the East. Once upon a Demiurge's dream, there was a curious and bright boy named Anguilimala. He continually pestered his teacher about attaining enlightenment, reaching peak frustration, and simply to stop the hounding, the teacher gave the boy a hopeless mission. He told him that cosmic wisdom was only attained when he brought back a thousand fingers from a thousand humans. Anguilimala, like so many meat sacks today, took the words literally. The little fucker grew up and spent years on the warpath, murdering innocent villagers to collect his trophies. Often it was ambushes, and sometimes it was butchering humans in the open. That escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. No authority could stop one of history's first serial killers. His actions caused a hysteria across the land. I'm a natural born killer. Guess who personally came to stop him? Gautama Effin Buddha. The Enlightened One showed up and showed Anguilimala that he had become a creature of evil. Without creativity and love, his enlightenment would be empty when he returned with the fingers to his teacher. It's the wanting, huh? The Buddhists will tell you, all life is pain. Pain comes from always wanting things. Anguilimala repented and transformed himself, ironically being one finger short from his dark quest. He became a Buddha, revered even today in Theravada traditions. What does this all tell us? First, Sophia is never found in straightforward formulas, but profound experiences and loving ecstasy in any movement or ideology. Second, everything casts a shadow. Whether it's Freemasonry or Gnosticism, any movement or ideology in the world for that matter, it's all about whether you put darkness or light into it. We are all Anguilimala and Buddha at the same time, and so is the universe. As the Wei Wu Wei Ching states, there isn't any need to seek outside yourself. Look inside, allow ideas and methods and ways of perceiving to dissolve, and you will see that your original face and that of all the Buddhas are one and the same. You decide what is real and what is not. You. Your will. Moreover and thirdly, brushing away the curious and bright seeking is never a good idea. 
It's done so often today in educational centers or social media, as it's often done to Freemasonry as a concept. All this does is bring forth powerful shadows that take an avatar of the divine to integrate. What does that mean, Buddha? Lastly, it doesn't matter what system, story, or destiny you're in. You can be redeemed and you can be godly if you simply see things as they really are and welcome compassion that is constantly manifesting outside your egoic self. That's the lesson of Anguilimala, or Mohammed, or Paul of Tarsus, or Darth Vader, or the person who said a stupid thing years ago on Twitter, or your political enemy that has been put before you in that diabolical divide-and-conquer spell. Humans, for the most part, don't have a clue. They don't want one or need one either. They're happy. They think they have a good bead on things. Well, why, why the big secret? People are smart. They can handle it. The person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. So you can have a good meal in this reality and redeem yourself as much as you deserve. But don't brush away and don't take that salvation by numbers route when encountering Freemasonry, Gnosticism, occultism, or any esoteric discipline. You'll end up one finger short from enlightenment and it will probably be lodged up your butt. The lady doth protest too much. Speaking of Buddhism, don't forget my new book, 10 Snackable Meditations. Tried and true wellness exercises from across the world and across history. Most take minutes to master. Find what works for you and only you. And that's the theme of this show. The feedback has been tremendous, and the sales have been really good. Check it out. And let us check out Mark Stavish. You don't talk. You watch talk shows. You don't play games. You watch game shows. Travel. Relationships. Risk. Every meaningful existence must be packaged and delivered to you to watch at a distance so that you can remain ever sheltered, ever passive, ever ravenous consumers who can't free themselves to rise from their couches to break a sweat, never anticipate new life. You want superheroes to protect you and make yourselves ever more powerless in the process. Well, you tell yourselves you're being looked after, that your inches from being served and your rights are being upheld, so that the system can keep stealing from you, smiling at you all the while. Go ahead, send your supers to stop me, grab your snacks, watch your screens, and see what happens. You are no longer in control. I am. This is the AM Byte interview, and with us we have the pleasure of being joined back by Mark Stavish, this time to discuss his new book, The Path of Freemasonry, The Craft as a Spiritual Practice. Mark, thank you very much for coming back. 
Well, thank you very much for the invitation. It's great to be back here. Always love what you're doing, and uh, you're one of the few people who actually does Facebook right. I wait for all of your posts because they're like blog posts, and they're very educational, very insightful on all things esoterica. And your book uh, certainly didn't disappoint either. Great book. Uh, and we will talk about it. Uh, we've also got uh, Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you doing? I'm fine this great afternoon, late afternoon here in sunny California. Love uh, things about the Masons and the symbology and the stories and, and the principles. So looking forward to this. Same here and the audience will too. So Mark, tell us about how this book came about. We talked uh, a bit about it in the pre-interview, but let the audience know about the, the, the genesis and evolution of the path of Freemasonry. Well, this is uh, the, the new edition. The book was originally published by Llewellyn about 14 years ago, and uh, it did very nicely. And uh, it, it, it's kind of surprising because uh, we have it in uh, French, Spanish, Estonian, uh, Russian, I think, Portuguese, and one or two other languages out there. And for some reason, they allowed the rights in English to lapse. So it falls back to me as, you know, as an author. And I was just talking with uh, folks at the Inner Traditions one day uh, on behalf of uh, someone else. I think it was Peter Mark Adams. I think it was him. Uh, I was, uh, he has a book coming out on healing. And I was talking to them about it, you know, kind of pitching it for him because it was really very good. I really enjoyed it. And I said, oh, and by the way, I, I, I have this uh, book on Freemasonry you know, Institute for Medic Studies was going to publish it as we did so many other titles, but you, know, you guys might want to take a look at it. And uh, they got it. It was read within the afternoon. And I said, how do they ever let this go out of print? I mean, this is spectacular. <laughs> and uh, a contract was sent out to me. And I have to tell you, Inner Traditions is just uh, wonderful folks to work with. Oh, um, yeah, great publisher. Yeah, their attention to detail is really good, and uh, they were able to find, you know, again, the book was originally written 14, 15 years ago. Um, you know, some things, believe it or not, do change, even within masonry. <laughs> and, um, you know, they, they were able to catch this and update it, and that was really nice. So it, it's a, in some ways, yes, it is the same book. In a lot of ways, it's not. So if you have the the Llewellyn edition, I think you'll enjoy having this one as well because we have made changes and modifications to it. Hmm. Interesting. What, what kind of changes? Well, just uh, whatever minor corrections that needed to be done, updating the reading suggestions, making them more user-friendly. Because the book itself, even though it is called The Path of uh, Freemasonry, it is not a, a book that is only for Freemasons or those who are interested in the craft. It looks at Freemasonry contextually uh, as a movement that's arising out of the late Renaissance and early Age of Enlightenment and, and blending these two forces together and, and what is happening at that time. So as Masonry is moving forward, it is placing a great deal of emphasis on many of the educational values uh, that we see within esotericism, but also in, in culture as a whole, at least for a while. Uh, among those, you know, what are the seven liberal arts and sciences? I mean, among them is rhetoric and logic. And I think logic is a perfect example. How often, you mentioned Facebook earlier, and how often don't we see people making 
uh, atrocious uh, logical <laughs> fallacies. Yeah. I mean, so we, we think of it as, oh, it's boring, it's logic, oh, it's rhetoric. <laughs> well, you have to learn how to present yourself. You have to learn how to convey a, a, a argument or a position or a statement. And then, of course, there's uh, geometry, uh, which is the queen of uh, the mathematics. Uh, everything that we have exists because of geometry. And uh, there is astrology, which some later change it to astronomy. But it's, you know, we're not alone in this cosmos. Uh, there is a larger universe. It's nice to know where we are in this, uh, this place. So there are many aspects to this uh, trivium, quadrivium, and the other things that help us develop and grow as a person, that we become self-educating. And, and that's really what self, and, and through that self-aware. And that's what masonry is about in many ways, because it is about fraternity, which is what most people think of. It is about charity, because that is something they often see a great deal of or hear a great deal of, but it's also philosophy. So how is that philosophy of self-improvement put into action through charity and fraternity? And then behind that, because remember, we're going back into the Renaissance, and behind that is also a lot of interesting esoteric stuff for those who have eyes to see, ears to hear, and are interested in it. Wonderful. Yeah. And uh, I liked well, one of the many things I liked about your book, Mark, is, uh, yeah, it's uh, not just a detailed history of Freemasonry, but you you do a great job at explaining the influence from Hermeticism, astrology. Uh, you talk about, you know, you give the zeitgeist of the different generations as Freemasonry evolves and uh, rubs shoulders with occultism and all that. But Again, it's not just a philosophy or a history book, but at the end of each chapter, you provide these very, might say, practical exercises loyal to Freemasonry for self-development. I really like that. And those are not exclusive to someone who is a Freemason by any stretch. Those are about beginning to understand the ideas presented in terms of art, architecture, symbolism, the power of place, the power of ideas. And not just limited, again, to what we might think of as Masonic, but overall total in a cultural context. And I think that's very important to understand, because that way anyone can use the book. Anyone can benefit from it, regardless of their path. Yeah, I would say so, too. Very useful. I would highly recommend it for the audience and for yourself, Uh how would you say Freemasonry has changed your life? As you say, you've been doing it for decades. Well, of course, it's one of these things. It's like any massive organization. You, It's a big umbrella, and people need to understand that. Now, when I, when I speak of Freemasonry, I am mostly talking about the Anglo-Saxon experience, the North American experience primarily, although to some degree Canada, Australia, Great Britain, but mostly what we have in the U.S. And that is going to differ from what you see in other jurisdictions and other countries. I said to someone earlier today in an interview, you know, the Masonic experience I have is going to be really somewhat different than the Masonic experience, you know, right now taking place this very night in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Mm -hmm. And we need to understand that because the, the reasons one joins the craft, the, what one gets out of it because of what they're putting into it and, and, and all of these things uh, are very different from person to person and often reflect their communities because it is a group of men in their community. So that way lodges can be very different. 
even though they may have the same rituals and be in the same jurisdiction, they can be very different because one lodge may be a traditional observance lodge and does things very much the way it was 150 years ago, 200 years ago. Another lodge, they're not too concerned about that. Uh, they're more of a charitable lodge. They're mostly concerned about charity. So you have to, when you join masonry, you have to find uh, the lodge which is best for you because you can move between them. It's not like you are stuck with whatever you join. And uh, you have tremendous educational opportunities. Tremendous. I mean, uh, they, they really are. If you, if you avail yourself of them. Yeah, I think in one part you write that Freemasonry is decentralized centralization. Each chapter is bound to its locality. So kind of reminds me of, well, from my experience, uh, AA chapters. Every AA chapter is completely different. And what you put in, you're going to get out. Uh, yeah, that's that's really a very good example. And, and, you know, having experience and knowledge of, uh, you know, the, 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 the AA model and, and what goes off it, you know, some of them are spectacular. Oh, yeah. And and others not so good. Some they steal, is, they're corrupt. Yeah. They're <laughs> and, but the, the, the fundamental ideas behind it have helped many people and helped many people uh, lead successful and healthy and productive lives. And the same we can say with Freemasonry and various other organizations uh, that are of that scope. You, you have to find the lodge which is good for you. Exactly. And what would you say is the secret of Freemasonry? As you write too, uh, one thing Freemasonry is not good at is keeping secrets. It's uh, it's available to all, but veiled, like the teachings of Jesus, the parables. Well, and there's the, the irony is that uh, no matter what I say, any Freemason is free to disagree. Right. And uh, <laughs> they're not wrong because there is no written code. There's no written doctrine uh that says this is what it must mean each must understand it within the understanding of their heart uh so for me the understanding of the secret of freemasonry uh, has several levels one of them of course being deeply esoteric but i think we could sum it up in this when you Enter a Masonic lodge, at least traditionally, not not always anymore. Some some lodge jurisdictions no longer do this, uh, and and many young men want it back because it's such a phenomenal experience. Is you enter what's known as the preparing room. Well, you still have the preparing room, by the way, but the preparing room used to be known as the chamber of reflection. And if you go online and Google, you can see some spectacular photographs and images of the chamber of reflection, and you'll see that they have these fantastically ornate versions such as in some of the french lodges to these incredibly simple ones and the most simple one would be a mirror a candle an hourglass maybe a skull piece of paper and a pen and you're asked to answer the question why are you here meaning why do you wish to join the masonic lodge and uh this would then be read in the open body of the lodge and if accepted, you would be entered in, and, and that's entered into entered apprentice, and you would be initiated. And of course, this letter that you've written would be burned. Now, that notion of why are you here is not just limited to the notion of Freemasonry, because of course, that was asked at a time when Masonry was often uh, illegal in many countries and could be a death sentence. Why would you want to join this organization that is out of water? <laughs> yeah. You know, people kill you. 
but why are you here? Why are you here on this planet? You know, why are you in this lodge tonight? You know, and that's what I ask the question when I, when I give this presentation. You know, why are you here? What are you doing with your life? That's another way to, to ask it. Mm -hmm. And to me, that is the fundamental secret of Freemasonry, that it asks this question and requires an answer. Yeah, I know in one section you define Freemasonry as, quote, a system of moral teachings veiled in symbolism. And I was thinking, wow, it's almost like you should start with the symbolism first because most humans, as we know, don't even know that our thinking is symbolic at our lower levels. We still want what? Literal answers, uh, narratives, uh, straight narratives. So I bet that uh, probably confuses a lot of newcomers. Well, I think it does. But also, if we go back to when these rituals originated, for the most part, uh, that symbolic thinking was still more flexible with people. Uh, literalism had not truly formulated itself, I think, in, in the popular psyche. But then, and people were used to symbolism, uh, particularly in their religious life. So, and, and there was things were more formalized, social protocols were more formal. So, symbolism was, was more understood. Uh, we have done ourselves a disservice. I mean, if I could show you the types of emails that I get daily. I can imagine. <laughs> uh, it's why even respond? If, if someone doesn't even know how to write a decent email, a decent salutation of dear Mr. Stavish, blah, 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 sincerely, you know, blah. If we can't even get a proper header and closer because, hey, we're gen whatever, we're special, we don't have to do that. <laughs> If you don't understand the, the importance of formality, it means you don't understand your place in the relationship. And you don't understand where the power lies in the relationship. And there's a false democratization that takes place in contemporary society. Whereas in Freemasonry, there was an authentic democratization that took place at a time when society was extremely hierarchical. That is, members of the lodge voted on their officers in secret ballot. Your vote was private. And that's it. That was one of the more intriguing and dangerous aspects of Masonry. But still within the framework of Masonry, there is a formal and hierarchical structure that we see replicated in the early formation of the U.S. government and the three branches of government. But also we see in things are done in a manner that allows for uh, proper cause and effect, proper responsibility. You know, you know who is responsible for what, where, and when. Because these are adults doing adult things. They understand that actions have consequences. So it's a, a very formal organization in many ways, but that is the great appeal for many people whose lives have become inundated with a... Uh, a tremendous amount of informality, informality to the point of uh, nothing being very important at all. So when they come into masonry and they have to wear a suit, a tie, 
maybe even a tuxedo. They have to learn proper ways of standing and uh, saluting and addressing. Yeah, this says that what you're doing is important. Pay attention. So in that way, it's very initiatic on a special inner level. I think you hit it on the head because you're talking about, yeah, the the emails and the situation today. And as many have said, we have lost a lot of the initiation vehicles for men who needed more than ever. Always men always need to grow up. <laughs> and uh, Freemason offers initiation into adulthood, into hopefully eventually divinity. But I think you'd agree we we've lost so many of these vehicles of initiation or the young people just aren't going to it. Well, you have to be an adult before you can be an, an initiate. You know, you have to be an adult. You have to be uh, 21 years of age, used to be, I think, 18 at one point. But uh, I th for the most part, it's always been 21, which, you know, 200 years ago was half your adult life. You were middle aged at 21. <laughs> yeah. People don't get that. You know, you're, you're middle-aged. Your life expectancy is about 45. So, uh, and that's in, in a good situation. You know, so, so you already had kids, a business, a job, everything. Or, or they, were, they were on the way soon. Yeah. You know, they were soon on the way. Um, and we look at initiation, particularly in esoteric orders. Uh, as you know from that interview I did with David Metcalf, uh, I just said, look, let, we just have to face it. Uh, uh, modern esotericism is uh, a, a religion of adolescence. <laughs> And it's got to, it's got to change. It must become a it has to become a movement of adults, mm -hmm. regardless of age, real honest adults, and uh, or or it's just going to die. Well, what that'll happen? I said it'll, it would bifurcate. Uh, bifurcate meaning you'd always have the, the the popular notion, which we'd have pop a culture, which we've talked about, and then the select, the elite, the uh, the the uh, focused and expensive part. And you see that in masonry. Masonry became huge after the Second World War. And it became so huge that it became its own worst enemy. So when it began, to, its numbers began to drop and have dropped steadily since 1964, 65, uh, that when the revival movement, Masonic revival came around, which is probably about 10, 15 years old, maybe 20 at most. Uh, I mean, it's been slow going. But uh, most of that, what you see is the young men want the older school. They want traditional observance masonry. They want high demand masonry, high demand. Things are expected of you. You have to write a paper before you can advance to a degree. You must present that paper in the open body of the lodge. It must be agreed upon and voted on by the brethren. Uh, you're going to see more of that high demand. And then of course, high demand organizations tend to get better followings. So just that's just something to think about as we when we talk about democratization and open door policies, whenever you see that most organizations collapse within a generation once they do that. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, 
engineering your success. Yeah, and what would you say would be some solutions to have modern esoterica grow up to make it other something than edgelord cosplaying or whatever it has become? What would you say? Well, it's not going to be cheap. I mean, people want it for free. Mm, yeah. You want a lodge, you want a temple, then you're going to have to pay for a lodge and a temple space. That's going to cost you. You have to make sacrifices. Initiation falls under Saturn. It demands things of you. And you have to make a decision. You're not going to be able to belong to six different groups. You're going to have to pick one or two, and they're going to have to be closely related, and you're going to have to do the work, and you're going to have to learn how to share and play well with others. And uh, you know, that, that's a lot of it. And it has to be depoliticized. You know, oh, the, yeah. The, that, that, is, that is the death knell of both uh, mainstream religion and uh, been the death knell of uh, uh, new and emerging religious movements as well. I mean, they joke about how it was the death knell of fundamentalist Christianity, but the reality is uh, they, they learned that lesson a long time ago, that they really don't get what they want. Uh, new and emerging religions, uh, various uh, esoteric groups who've, who've decided to embrace, uh, you know, progressive politics, they haven't learned that you're not going to benefit from this. You're going to be on the, you're going to be on the bad end because you're never going to get what you think. And uh, it, it's just foolish. What happens is you, you social, when, when movements that are mostly religious, they're designed for the individual to have the interior initiatic experience, the relegare, the uniting with the divine. Uh, there has to be a certain amount of uh, renunciation in terms of the world on that, not complete or total, but a certain degree. So if you're looking for political action to solve social problems and not individual awakening to free you from those problems or to find better ways to manage them you're not an initiate i mean you may have certificates and cards but <laughs> but but your but your level of of initiation is uh i'll be honest it's going to be quite low at best and and that's a very hard thing for many people to want to accept because uh you know, as I wrote in Pathology of the Sublime, you know, we're talking about things that go wrong in the spiritual path. You know, too much of what we do is 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 pillory to hood. You know, they they just they're they're pillory to that pillar of severity and that that uh, the the notion of the mind and intellect. You know, and and you see that in, of course, the uh, the rush to accumulate massive libraries and you know who is smarter than who and. And who is doing more old school than whatever? Uh, and this you know constant kind of intellectual wet towel contest that's going on. <laughs> it's 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 terribly destructive, and uh, there's a total failure of cooperation, uh, real genuine cooperation, because that takes effort. You, you're going to have to deal with people who you may not agree with, you may not even like them, but you you have a common cause or common purpose. So the way to uh, not have to grow up is to then uh, politicize it and then just uh, do what we've seen with the name calling and uh, atrocious behaviors and uh, you know just what happens and it, and it all just gets destroyed. But what happens too is in that destructive process, you weed a lot of things out and those that survive are worthwhile for the most part. Only the strong survive. 
this that's an interesting thing about initiation initiation is really about my individual awakening because i'm the one who's initiated now we help one another remember this is a team effort we're helping one another but no one can do the work for another so when when the awakening occurs it's about your survival in the knot it's really and, well said yeah please keep going if you and, that, and that's one of the secrets of freemasonry too you know the secret of the third degree is a resurrection ritual everyone knows this this is no secret okay <laughs> uh but what does that really mean when we survive the, the pressures of afterlife of death so how do you know you're going to survive well, well how well do you meditate how well do you dream so if you're obsessed with political action and you don't have a practice and you don't have any control over your dream life, uh, you're just food for the moon. <laughs> and that's, that's the cold reality of it. And that's what I've been writing and talking about a lot for the last few years, because that's the cold reality of it. And, and I think that a lot of modern esotericism has been very dishonest about um, that point because it's, very difficult and it's hard and maybe they're afraid they're going to lose members or something uh, but at some point you have to have the big boy talk you know you have to sit people down and say okay now this this is really what we're about this is what this is for now again if you don't do that if you don't talk, help people learn how to have the awareness and the awakened states that allow them to survive you know that is have lucid dreams and control their lucid dreams you have to have control of the dreams uh that's an important part then their capacity to survive in the afterlife is is limited. If and what they'll do then is the other way is you do it through an egregore attachment to the egregore, mm -hmm. which we talked about I think two years ago. Right. Yeah. Well said. I mean, I'm going back to AA, but I think it's very astute about the politics, Mark, because we have in that example before AA, you had the Oxford Group, you had the Washingtonians, very successful. Uh, movements to help people quit uh, drinking or at least manage drinking and what was their big mistake in the 19th century they took sides in the civil war they took sides with suffrage they took sides and they it seemed good and th both movements collapsed because of politics and then bill w came and said no no politics and the movement has survived so I think that's, but it's very hard today, isn't it? Because everything has to be politicized, don't you think? <laughs> everything. Well, and that's a good point because when you're in that situation, the life and death struggle of, of addiction, mm -hmm. whatever that addiction happens to be, it's a life and death struggle for the individual. Right. That That is the only thing they must focus on. That to to turn that into anything other than how do I free myself from this and build a better life for myself? How do I do that? Take responsibility. Anything other than that is a disservice to the individuals in that, in that meeting. Uh, you know, which is kind of the story of why the drunkologues become, you know, at first they're kind of amusing, but then they're just, they're destructive, mm -hmm. you know, or you have the famous, you know, the 13th step. Oh, you know that that becomes destructive and you see that in our occult uh, groups too relationships um, one of the things i used to say is this is not a dating club <laughs> this is not a dating service that is the fastest thing that will get you thrown out even if it means i have to close the doors 
because uh, relationships, as, as you know, become problematic in those settings and people have to learn how to manage them Indeed. and they often and they often don't because they're they're acting like adolescents even no matter how old they are so <laughs> yeah. you know it's it's kind of interesting that way so we have to demand more of people and uh but that means in some ways the people going to the groups get to demand more of the uh the so-called leadership you know leadership has to step up too and, and demonstrate that what it's doing is worth the time and effort of those of those members uh, you know what what are the promises that are being made to members taking learning these different magical techniques or alchemical practices you know what are the promises can they be fulfilled how are they fulfilled where show me some examples maybe that kind of stuff at the same time and let me know if you agree but there's also great opportunity i mean it seems all the craziness recently and i always say this is the age of hermes because this is the perfect world for hermes transitions doorways trickery everything hermes is about in in is this is his age or the coyote but it seems materialism has failed humanity to an extent and the old orthodox religions have failed humanity so wouldn't you say that this is an opportunity because it seems more and more people are curious for that middle path of the esoterica, the old lore of the hermetics and the Kabbalists and the Freemasons? Well, and, and I think uh, we have to just be careful on the language. I wouldn't say they failed it. It's just, a, you know, you know do, do my, does my clothing fail me because it no longer fits? <laughs> That's true. You know, does my car fail me because... I've driven it past its lifespan. You know, you know things again are are culturally timely to some degree. Uh, what we're trying to do is find out that which is. I, I don't like to use the word eternal, but we, we're trying to look for those things that are uh, always going to be of use to the individual on the journey. That which is essential. What is essential? And it's very easy when we're getting involved in esotericism to get hung up on those things which are not essential. Um, you know, my favorite uh, whipping child for this, and only because it's easy, we can pick anything <laughs> else. Look, we can pick anything we want, really, for the most part, you know, is the golden dawn. As many people know, I've had tremendously good experiences with many of the methods of the Golden Dawn, and I wrote about that. However, how many people really belong to a Golden Dawn Lodge? Very few. Why? Because it takes so much resources to host a lodge and a lodge initiation. You need a lot of people to do that. And then when you get it going, you look at what's going on in the first few degrees, there's all this memorization all of this stuff. And then I want to get to the good stuff, the ritual work. But you see very little instruction in the written material, at least. And I'm sure that this is modified in other groups. But you know, many people, when they come to it just from the written material, the book learning, that's all they know. And they think that's all there is. But you see very little emphasis on meditative practices and learning the nature of your own mind. And when I say meditative, I, most people confuse concentration with meditation. So when I'm visualizing a symbol, that's not really meditation. That's concentration. You know, meditation is where I'm understanding the nature of my own mind. 
and its own contents. So that when I enter into a situation where it dreams, psychic awareness, or a ritual that goes south, or even a ritual that maybe is wonderful, I understand the nature of the phenomena that is occurring, and I'm not swept away by it. We don't see much of that going on in terms of training. And then those organizations which do spend a, a fair amount of time on, on mental training, and I would include when I was in, it would have been Amwork. Uh, I'm not sure that's the case today because of the, I haven't seen the lessons in a while, but they weren't. I wasn't too impressed with them when I did. Uh, but those are the new ones. Uh, but the stuff that my great uncle went through was quite spectacular. So and the stuff I went through too was quite good. But it, but it wasn't impressive enough for the ritualists. What do you mean? We don't. Where's the pentagram rituals? Where's the hexagram? Where's the <laughs> invocation? Um, dude, you, you understand what this guy? What this guy can do with his own mind? Okay, doesn't need a. You know, doesn't need a wanderer's sword or a robe. And not that they can't be useful. They can be very useful. But do you see what I'm saying? There is too much. Uh, I don't want to say uh, clickishness or sectarianism. That might not be it, but finding well-rounded and well-integrated studies in modern esotericism is very difficult. Now we've attempted to fix that as best we can at the Institute for Hermetic Studies. But there again, that, that takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time to go through that work. So, you know, how do you get people to join and say, okay, it's going to take you three, four, five, six years to go through this. <laughs> yeah, not easy. And, well, and, and six years, and that's and that's and then you're just the, now you're just beginning. Now you've learned enough where you can begin. You know, you know, it's like okay, you you've got your black belt now. You, now you're teachable, <laughs> and uh, we have to begin to understand that that these this is a lifelong process for learning these things. And, and then the other part then is we see the materialization of magic, uh, the in in the form of. Uh, emphasis on end results and now there has to be some understanding when you undertake a practice you need to know where did this practice come from how am i to undertake it and what are the results that i should expect that's reasonable okay what i'm talking about is this obsession with sorcery you know again it's a it's kind of a, a wet towel contest and along with it we see the making of evil sexy you know, we're, we're trying to redeem Satanism in different versions and stuff like that. And, you know, how, you know, that, that what is it, goth lord edginess on everything. <laughs> so with that, within that framework, uh, we have to really ask ourselves if, if that stuff really worked, as well as people think. I mean, it's like, it's not like flipping a switch. Magic is not like flipping a switch. You know, I walk into my room, I flip the switch, the lights go on. It, magic doesn't work that way because everything works in and through you. So I know some people, everything works in and through them. And I tell you, they're great. I got old ladies a block from here. You, you say, you know, they'll take, they'll do their Padre Pio prayers and, Whatever is wrong will get fixed because mm -hmm. it's in and through them. In the same way with, uh, we have to understand that when we undertake these practices, things often get really crappy really fast because 
we haven't taken the time or many people haven't taken the time to do the proper purifications because that's just not fashionable to say you should that fashionable we've turned a lot of magic into a just a, a high octane fashionable version of the secret where you know the universe is your catalog and you should get whatever you want <laughs> and it doesn't work that way no not at all there was uh, i also like to mark as you say that uh, masonry is about building a better building a better building a better community and building a better individual so it's on many levels and then I, then i put on my tinfoil hat mark and i was thinking of biden and build back better boris johnson build back better the prime minister of new zealand i'm like are they like trying to use Masonic ideas in reverse? Did that ever cross your mind? No, not really. So it's just my little conspiracy in my head. Okay. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> and look, people get these catchy phrases. But they're research. They, they do research them. You know, they have focus groups and all that. They pay a lot of money for them. Right, right. And yeah, build back better. Isn't this great? We got our three Bs. <laughs> And there's probably some private jokes involved in that that we'll never know about or hear about. <laughs> uh, you know, I think we have to look at those things in terms of, again, if we understand the nature of our own mind, if we're able to perceive reality as it is, uh, then we'll be able to know what's going on. And what I like to say about conspiracies is that conspiracies are uh first of all they're historically real i mean there was the swansea conference half a dozen guys get together and decide they're gonna you know kill 14 million people mm -hmm, yeah. okay and then they then they know what they're doing so they redact the minutes they use uh, different words in there relocation <laughs> relocation oh, means you go into a concentration camp and as i say you know when i was when i was very young i uh i had a friend who he was, of course, much older than me, but, you know, he remembers Reinhard Heydrich coming to his father's house. Oh, wow. Heydrich was the, he was the architect of the final solution. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, it, conspiracies exist because they're real. Just like stereotypes exist because they're real. You know, a stereotype is a is kind of a flat archetype. <laughs> I love if it. it. If if it didn't exist, the joke would never be funny, and every sitcom is based around the nation of the notion of a stereotype. Right. Okay, so we have to under, we have to accept that. Otherwise, there's no you know nine points on the enneagram. There's no twelve personality types in the zodiac. I just okay. <laughs> there's there's types typology is is real now what happens is with conspiracy theories and we're going to call as conspiracy theory is a conspiracy uh, or the perception of a conspiracy that is not rooted in reality we'll let's call that the tinfoil hat area there you go okay but those are fun to play with Something. Well, they're dangerous. They're dangerous to play with because they're mental poison. Aluminum is toxic to the brain. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, what what you what happens there is people perceive an interconnectedness. 
See what we what, what esotericism is fundamentally about is the interconnectedness. Causation and effect is really the only thing we have to be concerned with. Karma, cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and result. So people perceive a certain interconnectedness. And they they get bits of it, but they don't know enough. They're uncomfortable with ambiguity. So they fill in the blank pieces uh, very, very poorly. And often very inaccurately and with their own prejudices and biases uh, being the source of that uh, plaster and putty that they use to fill in the very large gaps. So they're kind of there. They're kind of peeking behind the curtain. You know, they, they want to understand reality. They want to understand what's going on. But still, it's done within the framework of materialism. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay? And that's why it fails so often. Because even if someone is correct, even if they're 100% right, so what? How would they know? Because there's no way to prove it. They don't have access. You can't prove it to anyone else because, again, it's not something that is provable to someone else. And even if you could, what can you do about it? You see, because it's all materialism of a form. That's why uh, one's own awakening is so important because within the framework of your own spiritual awakening, you then are under to able to take the actions of the adept. And among those actions is just that, action. How do you act in relationship to this information that you know? And you're also able to act on levels that supersede physicality and materialism. That's why personal initiation and personal awakening is so critical on, on that level, on that social level, and on the first level, because that's what allows you to survive as an individual being in the in the knot if you will after death well said indeed vance what do you think or do you have a question for mark well um conspiracies and so forth bring to mind a question i had about the relationship between masons and the betterment of society and you know as far as masons are concerned you know their individual brotherhoods the lodges and so forth and we know that way back in the founding fathers days uh, um, a lot of masons were involved in structuring the united states government right uh, you would you agree with that mark well that's true i mean the lodges in boston uh, had uh, their registers were full but nobody was in the room <laughs> they're all they're all dumping tea in boston harbor yeah uh, but but masonry played an important role on both sides. Well, so now, uh, how, how about nowadays? I mean, are the Masonic lodges um, still uh, mindful of what the government is doing nowadays and how the experiment has, you know, has uh, evolved? And uh, are there any, um, I'm trying to come up with a good way of saying this are there any ambitions hopes dreams or actions kind of aimed at 
uh, and this goes back into the discussion about politics too, right? That's what politics ostensibly were for, but seems like nowadays politics are about the well-being and the wallets of the politicians. <laughs> but uh, what do you have to say about that as far as beyond just the development of the individual and beyond, well, if we have better individuals, then hopefully it'll magically we'll get a better society, which I think is true to a large degree. But what, what about that? And it's not magically. It's the cause and effect. You can only have a better society if you have better individuals. There's nothing yeah. magical about it. And, you know, you, you, you can't uh, you can't have a better society. Uh, you can't have, you know, you build a better family by having a father and a mother who aren't addicted. Okay, sure. you, so you build a better family through getting rid of addiction. You build a better family society by having people who are who are mature and and uh, you know reasonable adults. Yeah, I didn't mean it literally. I'm talking about you know a lot of groups say, well, if we improve ourselves, then automatically everything will be. Uh, no, it's not, well, and, and it, well, automatically in a passive way, not in a uh, not in an active way. Uh, masonry is very active in terms of society through its charitable activities, which are massive. Okay, they, they're to the tune of oh, one to two million dollars a day. Um, they, they're in terms of costs, it's, it's incredible what they do, and they do it very quietly and behind the scenes. That's an important point to know. Uh, masonry is inherently apolitical, so there is no polit there is no masonic observation of political status, only except as so far as a political state may uh, be unfriendly to Freemasonry, such as uh, as it was during the National Socialist period, as it was during the Soviet period, as it was with the uh, uh, during the Islamic Revolution, uh, as you've seen the attack on Masonic lodges in Turkey, uh, and, and such things as that. So Masonry uh, does not uh, does not withhold its membership based on uh, political orientation or activity. Uh, we see uh, next to me is a photograph of uh, Vivekananda. Swami Vivekananda was a, was a Freemason. And of course, he's considered one of the founding, uh, you know, inspirations of modern India, great sources. Of modern. So you see that framework there, but that is separate from his Masonic orientation and Masonic activity. Uh, I'm not saying that his relationships didn't play some role. I'm sure they did, as we often see. And there are bad examples of masonry being co-opted uh, in the South after the Civil War at times. Uh, at the same time, masonry was very important during and after the Civil War for Reconstruction, which is often missed by those people who point to when you, know, you had KKK uh, groups in, in Masonic lodges. You know, it's they want to point to one and not understand the other, because remember we're talking a big organization. People will often point to uh, Freemasonic lodges being involved in, uh, uh, you know, in the with the IRA during the early years, uh, or we have the Italian Wars of Unification with Garibaldi. So it is not to say that Masons are not involved in those things and that at times lodges may not be a focal point of those activities, but that is, uh, that is not a endorsed Masonic activity. That needs to be very clear. Uh, so there's no eye looking down, if you will, Masonic eye looking out upon the world and 
and trying to make uh, decisions for it. Individuals, yes. As a group, no. Interesting. What happens when a lodge comes up against the government in some country that is clearly antithetical to, you know, Masonic principles? And well, they have to make a decision because they're probably going to be disbanded, arrested, and murdered. I mean, that's what happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what went on uh, in Spain, Italy, uh, uh, the Balkans prior to the war, the Soviet period, National Socialist period. Under uh, Iran, first thing they did was, I think they killed the uh, Grand Master of uh, Iranian wow. Freemasonry, you know. Yeah, so, you know, these things, that's it. You you have to make a decision then as individuals. And they weren't alone. Other groups did that too. Sure. You know, they had to, uh, you know, I, I, I knew people who were involved in the resistance during the Second World War who were involved in other esoteric movements. Well, they'd have to go underground for sure. Right. And then what does underground really mean? We have a very good example of... Uh, attempts to resurrect uh, some uh, lodges or some rights, I should say, um, in Paris in 42, 43, maybe 43, 44, where there's some uh, uh, records of that occurring. Uh, and it, which puts a lot of the contemporary notion of new and emerging religions talking about being persecuted or we're not understood or we're having being prejudiced against them in a, in a real important context. You know, it's, it's people may not don't have to agree with what you do. And when we look at a lot of the law, the groups out there today, I mean, if, if they're not being celebrated, they, they, they feel they're being persecuted and that's not the case. Uh, there were times in the 20th century and I've known people who've gone through it. It was, it was a life and death struggle uh, when being in these organizations. I mean, I jokingly said a long time ago uh, to my wife at one point, I said, uh, I have enough membership cards in my wallet to uh, warrant not even getting, making it to the car. <laughs> Somebody's out to get you. Yeah, for sure. You're illegal somewhere. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. I was illegal in quite a few places. Uh, I know I know my writings that have been banned in, in several countries. Mm, yeah, not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> it was Islamic countries, you know. Yeah, fundamentalist countries, Islamic fundamentalism. Well, we are at the end. This has been a, a great conversation uh, on a very fascinating book, just like all your works, Mark, are stellar as far as I'm concerned. And uh, But first, Vance, thanks for uh, keeping us company on this journey. Sure. Very sobering conversation. A lot to think about. And well, thank uh, you. Yeah, I, I better get my uh, property in the Pleroma staked out then. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've got techniques for that. Be nice to Sophia. Be nice to Sophia. Resurrection real estate. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And, and Mark, uh, the book is out at all uh, booksellers. Anything you want the audience to know? Uh, website, anything else? No, just usual stuff. Uh, please try and order from your local uh, New Age bookshop or bookseller if you can. If not, directly from the publisher. 
and uh, we do have uh, some wonderful courses available online at the Institute for Hermetic Studies on our Teachable platform. And of course, a free course, a six hour long free course with a lot of backup material uh, that's available for free. They're called Unfolding the Rose. We encourage you to sign up for it and enjoy it. And uh, we've got a lot of other stuff, but that's a good place to start. And we really do wish everyone the best in their journey. Uh, and that this book is a great place to start, regardless of whether you're a member of the Masonic fraternity or not. Wonderful. Well, check it out. And I highly recommend you read The Path of Freemasonry. And Mark, as always, it's great to have you on Aeon Bite. And good luck with all your future projects. Thank you very much. And there you have it, you spiritual entrepreneurs. A very meta discussion on Freemasonry. In our second part, Mark will tackle the controversial Albert Pike and other occult figures like Julius Evola. He'll go even deeper into the purpose and gifts of Freemasonry. And yes, he'll reflect on the possible origins of the craft. Mark will grant his high-level views on all the shenanigans of 2020 and 2021, doing a great job of dancing around politics and social issues. Well, almost, but still with penetrating insights and much, much more. So please become a Patreon at Patreon, AB Prime member, or Red Circle subscriber many benefits beyond full episodes and it certainly keeps help this red pill cafeteria open i won't go into a total shill here but if you find any of this content rewarding or valuable in your life please support it's like 75 cents an episode as i've increased my output since leaving the day gig i can't do it without you don't forget my voiceover services, the merch store, and the Amazon wish list if you want to help in other ways. And this includes tipping on Red Circle or via donations. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye, as always. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.